You know, you're liable to find anything out because I've messed with everything back there over the last two days. 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 39. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things. How to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay any restraint upon you. But to promote good order. And to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed. If his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, as we take up and look at what you have for us, Lord, with respect to our relationship and how to serve you and our relationship with each other, particularly as a family. Father, we pray that your spirit would guide our thoughts and minds and help us to understand your words penned through Paul and that they may be seared into our hearts and minds and we can have a better understanding of what it's like to give you our undivided attention and glorify you in that, Father. And Lord, I pray that the words I speak be not of me, but be glorifying of you. And I pray, Lord, that you give my voice the strength to be able to get through this. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. My voice is not good. I think I got a little carried away with the song as well. And if I'd have thought in retrospect, I'd have saved a little. But anyway, God's in control of it. So we're actually covering quite a bit of ground this morning. There are several verses throughout this passage. But we're covering that much ground because, honestly, we've been dealing with this issue for a month. 
And although there are small differences and deviations, the underlying principles are pretty much the same. And the principles deal with how are we to serve God with everything that we are and yet also be a part of a family, to have a wife and children and to be married or to remain single and celibate. And how do those relate to each other? And as I said, we've been dealing with it for a, mo- for a month, and each point is slightly different, but that underlying principle remains the same. And this was a great source of contention within the Corinthian church. They had a lot of questions with response or with respect to this issue. And if you recall, Paul was actually addressing, and we start chapter 7, and he's responding in letter to a letter that he had received from the church at Corinth. And so they had written him and said, hey, what do we do with this idea of celibacy or being single or being betrothed and serving God? And not just serving God, but serving God in a way that you don't get distracted and you're not causing issues or nothing's coming between your relationship with God. And we saw that the first issue was where married believers decided that they were going to be celibate. And Paul said, no, don't do that. Don't deprive the other of basically sexual intimacy because there is this underlying theme throughout all of this is that we are to avoid anything that might lead us to sin. And if you're going to remain celibate and not married, that's fine. But as we looked at, that's not for everyone. Not everybody can do that. Because you're going to have desires. Most people are going to have desires. And if you try to remain celibate through that and not be married, then that's probably going to lead you to sin. And whenever we looked at married couples with both believers present, they said, don't deprive one another because during that deprivation, it may very well lead your spouse to have desires that would lead to sin. They talked about if you were married to an unbeliever, how do we deal with that? What's supposed to happen? Number one, believers are not supposed to marry unbelievers, but if you find yourself in that situation, or if you were both unbelievers and then were married and one of you became a believer, what are you supposed to do? Is the believer supposed to leave the unbeliever? Paul says no. Don't leave the unbeliever. And if you remember, that was prefaced on this whole notion that the unbeliever wanted to stay. That the unbeliever wanted to continue in the marriage. And he changes that a little bit. If you are married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever wants to leave, what you remember what he said? Let them go. Let them go. And so he dealt with and looked at a lot of different circumstances with respect to marriage and this whole idea and the goal of all of this was how we are to better serve God because that was the goal and I give them credit for that because it certainly seemed like in their letter when they wrote Paul the question was we want to be able to serve God to the best of our ability how can we do that given our relationships with our husbands or wives or children or whatever the case may be. And Paul said, by and large, the most important thing is don't get in a situation to where it leads you to sin. And we must avoid those types of situations 
at all costs. And then last week we saw that Paul spent a great deal of time telling them, God wants you to stay where you are. God doesn't want you to change everything in your life in order or in the name of attempting to serve him better. If you have a job, and there are caveats to that, if your job is causing you to sin and you become a believer, you got to get out. End of story. You can't stay there. That's the reality of it. But if you have a job and you become a believer and it does not cause you to sin, don't all of a sudden just leave your job and try to find some other way of serving God. Be creative, and that's what God wants us to do because he puts us in places to serve him regardless of the circumstance. And if you remember, Paul even went, to, went so far as to talk about slaves and said, don't, don't try to overthrow the government in the name of Christ. Serve God where you are because that's how he wants you to serve him. Don't try to be different in that. We are to live lives that God called us to live. And so that wraps up last week and that's a quick review and kind of catches us up to where we are today and we sort of turn back a little bit and look at some different issues that are going to arise in this morning's passages. Verse 25, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. It's the same sort of principle that we just saw in last week's passage. Are you bound to a wife? Don't, do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So again, we have Paul beginning this section with this phrase, now concerning the betrothed. And clearly this was part of the letter that was written to Paul because he's just moving from subject to subject as he's got the letter on one side of him and he's got a pen and, or a, a quill and a papyrus on the other side of him and he is responding to the questions that they had. One of the questions clearly was, what do we do with the betrothed? And I think that this can be a little confusion if we don't, or confusing if we don't really understand what the betrothed means. So we have seen the word betrothed before, right? And the obvious place is in Matthew, right? Whenever we're talking about Mary and Joseph, we know that they were betrothed together to be married. And we've seen that that's sort of a, like an engagement, only there were legal consequences of one of the persons from walking away. Remember, you actually had to receive a bill of divorce in order to get out of the betrothal process. I will tell you that's not what Paul's saying here. It's an entirely different Greek word, and I, it would made life a lot easier had they not done that. But the Greek word here is parthenos, which actually means maiden or virgin. Okay, so it's, it's a young lady is a maiden or a virgin, and that's exactly what this word in this context means, as opposed to nestuo, which is a formal engagement. Two separate words, and yet they're translated to the same betrothed word in English. 
It helps nobody when you're trying to make sense of this and read it. But after you know that Paul is talking about a, a maiden or a virgin, then it sort of makes more sense to you as you go through this. Otherwise, you're going to be seen as you go through it. You're going to be seeing Paul telling them, do away with the betrothal. Get out of it. Run from it. Walk away. Well, that's sort of a certificate of divorce, and it would really fly in the face of the message that Paul's trying to get through here, which is to remain where you are. So with that, hopefully, we can get a little better insight on what's going on here. So Paul says, now, God hasn't spoken on this issue. Nowhere in the Bible did Jesus say, as to maidens or virgins, this is how you're supposed to live your life and serve me and I think it's very important that we don't lose track of that notion that this the whole genesis behind this is serving God so how are we to serve God in the best of our ability or to the best of our ability and deal with family life so Paul tells them God hasn't spoken on the issue but I'm going to give you my opinion and we're going to see what he says or how much we should give credence to his opinion at the end of all this he tells them in view of their current situation next slide right yes in view of the present distress so it almost sounds as if there's something coming down the pike or something that's happening to them either at this time or in the near future that might change what he's saying here and I'm going to say that's not what I think is going on. I don't think there's anything that's imminent in this passage, and we're going to see it come back up again, that changes the circumstances or changes the situation as if the world was going to end five days after he penned this. I, I don't think that's it at all, and I'll explain why as, as we get through this. So if you are bound to a, sp a spouse don't leave them do not leave them and we've seen this before it's sort of the reiteration of everything that Paul said above it if you are bound to a spouse don't leave them if you don't have one don't go try and find one again I think that's prefaced on if you can if you can deal with the dangers of being single and celibate then that's what you should do if you can't, then don't force it upon yourself because you're going to fail. And when you fail, you're going to sin. And that's worse than anything. So that's exactly the advice that Paul is giving to the people at Corinth. But if you do, Mary, you haven't sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. They have, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For this present world is passing away. 
So we start, sort of an aside, I want to bring it up, it just came to my mind. In Sunday school this morning we were talking about uh, Moses and the Exodus and the Israelites and God instructed the, the Israelites not to basically have any contact with a woman during the period of time that he was going to be speaking to them and, and giving the Ten Commandments. And so you can kind of see where the church at Corinth, when you're dealing with sexual relations, how because God instructed them not to have any during this time, they looked upon sexual relations as being an unclean type activity. And those that were serious about serving God refrained from that. And so that's sort of the genesis behind the questions that the, the Corinthians had of Paul. Along with the fact that Paul, he didn't have a wife or any type of family to look after and to watch over and to provide for and they thought that he was a very good example for them to follow and so I'm quite certain that some of the questions revolved around that said Paul you don't have a wife or anybody at home that you have to take care of and you are our shining example of a servant of Christ should we follow your example and so I think this is in response to in response to that so Paul tells them look it's better if you don't have a wife or a husband, don't go try to find one. If you can deal with the underlying potential of sin. But if you do have to get married, he tells him straight up, you, have not, you haven't sinned. It's not a sin. It's not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, it is a gift of God. Marriage is a gift of God. And I think there's a danger when we go through this to look down upon marriage. And I don't think that's the point at all. God created marriage for us to enjoy as one of his gifts and it is a beautiful gift from him and if you are a virgin woman who marries or a maiden who marries she has not sinned either then this warning and those of you that are married you know what he's talking about right if you are married you will have worldly troubles that's just the reality of it Right? I mean, that, that, that's just what you have to deal with. That's just, there, there are difficulties and trials and things you work through and things that you deal with. It's part of marriage. And so Paul tells them straight up, you're going to have those types of issues. I would rather spare you that, Paul says, but you'll have those issues. He does not mince any words with respect. Because he says that, and what's the big deal with those issues? The big deal with those issues is that those times detract and distract from serving God, from glorifying God. And that is the focus of all of this, basically. And then he goes on to clarify it a little bit. This is what I mean, brothers, that the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. So this appointed time thing, it makes us think that there's something that's impending. Sort of like the verse that I showed you a while ago. It, 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 at first glance, it looks as if there's something that's going to happen in the near future from when Paul writes this. And I think that, again, it's a translation issue. If you go back and you, you look at the Greek from which it was translated, the literal Greek says, this season is short. This season is short. That kind of changes how we look at that passage, right? The appointed timer, this season is very short. So let us live 
and those of us who have wives as though we have none. Paul clarifies it down in verse 31 that we'll get to in a little bit when he says, this world is passing away. This world is passing away. And I've said it a gajillion times, that whenever you're young, you think that life is so long and you've got so much time, but then the longer you live, the more you realize that it is extremely short, that this is an incredibly short season. And you understand what James says when he said life is but a vapor, because it, it really is. And so that, that is what Paul is trying to get at here. He's saying marriage is a gift of God, but it's only going to last for an incredibly small amount of time. It's not going to last long. It is a passing season. In Matthew 22, Jesus tells us that in heaven, people neither marry nor are they given in marriage. So we say you, you can avoid being married in order to serve God in a more beautiful way because your marriage isn't going to last very long. And it's not that you're getting divorced, it's that you're going to die. And it's going to end it. It is a passing season. It is a small blip on the eternal radar. So when he says, let those who have wives live as though they had none, he doesn't mean that, guys, you just ignore your wife. It's not what he's talking about at all. And I think as we go through this, we'll see a little bit more clearly how he's, or what he's saying here, because he goes on in verse 30, those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no good, as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for this present world is passing away. Very clear what Paul's saying. God has given us a great number of wonderful gifts in this life. Keep them at arm's length. It doesn't matter what they are. We become easily, and I've said it a number of times, we are so easily addicted to God's gifts. And what do we do to his gifts? We grab onto them and we hold onto them tightly and we lose our focus from God. Enjoy them for what they are. If you have a spouse, love that spouse. Love God way more. The time you sacrifice for God should be so much more than the time you sacrifice for your spouse. Mourning? To mourn something is actually our response that God has given us in difficult times. Is it wrong to mourn? No. Is it wrong to get so caught up in the mourning process that we lose sight of our relationship with God? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's only going to last for a while. Rejoicing. Rejoicing is the gift from God, right? We love to rejoice. But can we get so caught up in rejoicing that that's our only focus is trying to find the next season of rejoicing and we ignore God? Sure. We should not do that because it shifts our focus from God 
to the gift that God has given us. Buying and selling, money, jobs. There's nothing inherently bad with any of that. It is a gift from God. Is it a gift that we run the risk of becoming addicted to? Absolutely. How many people, their occupation becomes the definition of their very existence? Their desire to have all the money in the world drives their life. To have money and be able to experience buying things is a gift of God, but we can be so easily and quickly addicted to that. And when that addiction comes, we lose focus. We no longer see God. All we can see is how we're going to get the next dollar in the bank. And Paul's point of all of this is the last word. Last two words, or four words, the world is passing away. Why do we want to spend all this time trying to deal with an addiction on earth that we're only going to die and leave behind, whether it's our family, whether it's mourning, whether it's rejoicing, whether it's money, whether it's occupation. They're none going to exist. Those are not eternal things. Only the things that are eternal are beneficial eternally. And as I said, don't be mistaken when I or think that those are bad things because they're not at all. Family's a beautiful gift of God, but don't get so focused on that that it takes our focus away from the creator of the family. Glorify the creator and not the creation. It is our devotion to Christ and only our devotion to Christ that carries over into eternity. Charles Studd, also known as C.T. Studd, was a British British missionary in the mid-1800s. And he wrote a poem, and I used to put it up on the screen during the introductory sections. It's a long, long, much longer poem in total, but there's an excerpt that I'll read to you. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Only one life. And it is short, and it is passing. And only the things we do for Christ will remain when all of these things that we get addicted to and change our focus upon are gone. And rest assured, they will be gone. Everything else is passing away. And the next few verses illustrate this Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. That's the unmarried man's focus. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. 
how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's all Paul's getting at here, to secure undivided devotion to the Lord. He wants people to be free from the distractions of the world because we are so easily addicted to those distractions and they take away from our serving of God. He's saying, I'm not forbidding you from being married in in any way. I'm just telling you to be aware. Verse 36, Paul shifts gears here a little bit, and this, this part can be really confusing if you don't understand betrothed and what that means here. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, his pa- if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever firmly believe, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, has this, determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So there was a Jewish custom, and the man always had to give away his daughter. And so either some would set them aside and dedicate them to the Lord, and they were to never be married. Others, he would give up to be married. And so this was always sort of a dilemma in a father's mind with respect to their daughter. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. He says, it should be to your fathers. If any of you think that it's not fair and it's going to cause issues with your daughters, your virgin or maiden daughters, and you're really convinced about it, then let them marry it's clearly not sinful you don't have to give your daughters every daughter to the Lord however if that's not the case and you're not convinced in your mind that she should be married then keep her as a maiden and you will do well I give you the New American Standard version which makes is makes it a lot clearer in verse 36 it says but if any man thinks he is acting unbecoming toward his virgin daughter if she has passed her youth and if it must be so let him do what he wishes he does not sin let her marry makes a whole lot more sense but the ESV version really doesn't help with respect to that so it's a situation where a father is dedicating his daughter or giving her away to basically be married Conversely, the other would remain fine as well. And then we get to verse 38 where he says, So when he who marries his betrothed, he who gives his daughter away, and he who refrains from marriage will do it even better. So you're good if you do it, and you're even better if you don't. And that's the point that Paul's making, again, not to have divided loyalties with respect to being married and I had that again as the new American standard but we're going to jump on past that verses 39 to 40 
And so we have this binding of a husband and wife that Paul wants to close this chapter with. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So, you recall all of this conversation and questions about whether a husband or wife should leave each other and serve God, or would it be better to leave each other and serve God? And Paul's saying, no, the wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if he passes, if he dies, then she is free to marry whomever she wishes, with one caveat, has to be a believer, must be a believer. Other than that, and unless that happens, they are bound to each other in the Lord. And yet he has a final quip here, doesn't he? It's a little bit of sarcasm. And in my judgment, it's better to remain single. Now this very last line, I find it somewhat humorous because I promise you if we would ever find the letter from the Corinthian church that they wrote to Paul, they would be saying, we have the Spirit of God and we believe this is the correct way to do it. Paul's saying, yeah, I know what you believe, but I think that I've got the Spirit too and I'm telling you this is what's proper, to stay together until one of you dies and then you're free to do whatever you want to do. And I think it would probably be appropriate, he says, or you would be happier if you remain single. So as we close this seventh chapter, and as I said, it's a lot of the same thing and it has been reiterated over and over and over. And so we have to sort of ask ourselves, what do we take from it? What do we take from it? I think it's important to note that we, God calls us where we are, that he wants us to serve him where we are and in the situation we are as long as it's not causing us to sin as long as it's not a temptation to sinfulness whether it be our jobs or with our spouses in the relationships that we have but he asks us to serve him with our whole hearts and and I think that we can learn a lot by knowing how and understanding how we can so quickly and easily get dragged down with the things of the world to where it takes our focus off of him and in the moment it can be very convincing whatever the situation may be whether it's rejoicing or mourning or being in our jobs that gives us a lot of fulfillment whatever the case is it's hard to see past that maybe it's with our spouse you know we're got a big spat at home or whatever and it it gets distracting Paul's encouraging us to be on guard about that. Hold those things loosely. Why? Because they're passing. Because they're only here for a brief moment. We will not carry that spat from home into eternity. Nor will we we carry the rejoicing or the mourning or our jobs. Do not trade the things that are passing for the things that that are eternal. Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your words, the words of your spirit spoken through Paul. So much truth in them, so difficult for us as fallen, fleshly human beings to put into effect in our lives. But Lord, we know that it's not solely up to us. 
we know that your spirit that resides within us within us gives us the strength and the determination to live our lives according to your will and not our own Lord we thank you for the wonderful magnificent gifts that you have given us now help us to hold loosely to those beautiful things that you created help us to always glorify the creator over the creation in all that we do in every aspect of our lives so that you and you alone would be glorified. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.